AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high quality ingredients. And what that means is each morning when I wake up, before I do anything else, I drink AG1 to set me up for the day. It keeps me clear headed, full of energy and focused on whatever I need to do, like writing the fighting cock, for example. One scoop once a day before breakfast and that's it. I've actually found that I've not been needing coffee in the morning to get me started. I've still been drinking coffee because I love coffee, but it's not because it's like a necessity to do so. AG1 is made out of the highest quality ingredients subject to the strictest manufacturing standards. AG1 is NSF certified for sport and this process involves exhaustive testing and verification that every serving of AG1 is exactly what you see on the label. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs for your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock. That's drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock to get started. And to help the podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day and enjoy the show. GG Poker is the biggest online poker site and they have more players than any other on the internet. Why play anywhere else? They have a wide range of games and unique features that you just can't find on any other site. GG Poker run huge tournaments with big prize pools and they hold the record for the biggest ever prize pool on an online poker tournament. There are games for all players at all skill levels, whether you're new to poker or a seasoned pro, including cash games and exciting tournaments like Bounty Hunters and Sunday Majors. GG Poker offer popular games like Texas Hold'em and Omaha to unique games like All In or Fold and Spin and Gold. New players that make their first deposit get £60 in free play, 18 plus, new UK players only, minimum deposit is £10, full terms and conditions apply, begambleaware.org and please play responsibly. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Cock. A camel Hello and welcome to episode 69, season 12 of the Fighting Cop podcast. Joined today by the Athletics' very own Charlie Eccleshare. How you doing, mate? I'm good. How are you? You're on loads of podcasts as well. Um, do you know what? I'm sick of so there's, there's podcasts everywhere. Take me back to the day when we started, when there were two Spurs podcasts. Now we have to contend with the view from the lane. How are we supposed to do that? I know it is a it's a crowded marketplace, isn't yes. it? Football pods in general. Yeah, I, I know it's funny because like most of the pods I do are taking a summer break. Yeah. So it's like I needed to get my fix, and I've done this is the second podcast <laughs> I've done this week. As if I'm like an I'm addicted. I have to record a minimum of two podcasts every week. I know it's amazing. Football cliches, view from the lane, and totally football show. You can find Charlie on. Uh, I've got to do this because you know we started the last podcast. You were here uh, with us a year ago. Uh, Ruben Mins has uh, does he eat all? <laughs> does he all? Does he eat all his Eccles cake? by himself or does he echo share you don't have to answer i'm sorry about that yeah so about a year ago um on, on, you came on the fighting cop we as fans were really excited we spoke about the possible title challenge overloading the opposition obviously towards the end of the season before we were killing teams five four nils all over the place final game of the season just demolished and relegated norwich um and it, but it all went wrong as is the mm. tottenham way it all went wrong what 
in your best estimation and based on the information you you have what happened with Conte yeah I know it's amazing the the contrasts from a year ago and how wrong we got it but how wrong everyone got it yeah everyone was talking as if Spurs you know third was basically the position most people were going for and yeah there was talk of maybe maybe they could push the title um where did it go wrong I think they there was a growing disconnect between him and the players um I think that his kind of abrasive manner uh worked early on I think it was you know it was just what the team needed I think they tired of it I think also there were a lot of there are a lot of factors. I mean, you think the start of last season, they went from they got top four when they hadn't they weren't playing midweek games, and Conte even said that was a massive factor. Then all of a sudden they weren't just playing midweek games, but it was the most constricted schedule we'd basically ever had leading up to the World Cup, and they, and they managed to sort of muddle their way through. Like results were weirdly okay. I mean, they were I think they were fourth going into that World Cup break, and they'd been third for a reasonable amount of time in those early months but performances weren't very good I think then by the time they came back the uncertainty about his future I think that's just such a huge thing that maybe we didn't quite realize how big a deal that is when you know your manager's off really at the end of the season like consciously or otherwise are you is that really something you as a player can fully fully believe in and commit to then obviously he had his illness Um, we should say as well you know soft factors I know sometimes because football now is so data-driven and so data-led, we like, you know, harder explanations. But, you know, he lost a number of his close friends um, over the course of that season. I think, you know, the death of Ventrone was was a really big thing that maybe from, from the outside people don't realise. He was really, really popular at the club um, and someone Conte had worked with for years. So I think, as ever with these things, there's not one reason. I think all of those things combined... And uh, that's why Conte, and it all led to that point at Southampton where Conte exploded, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Indeed. I, 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 so it's pretty much what, what we already knew, that, that these are a combination of factors that led to a position where, like you say, Conte exploded and then the right was on the wall. But he did mention about, and it was a comment he kind of reversed on to some degree, but he mentioned about Daniel Levy and his role at the club and, and, and the fact that there is, has been very little success in 20 years. And Mourinho, very not not long after that, talked about his fondness for every club that he'd been to, but had real no real connection with Tottenham, and called it Daniel Levy's club. What, what do you make of that? I mean, is is Daniel Levy the problem? And regardless of what happens, we're we're always sort of destined to be last of the big six. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I mean, I think it slightly depends on your perspective because. Those who are anti-Levy, of which there's probably it's probably fair to say there's an increasing number, feel that he is the obstacle, that he's almost taken the club as far as he can. Mm. Um, the other view is that you look at where Spurs were when he came in 20-odd years ago. They were sort of in that middling pack with Villa, Everton, clubs like that. And you look at the direction that Villa and Everton have gone. Obviously, Villa are resurgent now but they've spent years uh, in the championship and Everton obviously doing what they're doing and I'm not saying that Spurs should be compared to those clubs um, but you know he to get him into that top six to get them regular top fours if you zoom out um, you know clearly it would be unfair to say it's been all bad because they're in a much stronger position 
than what they were. I think the issue that a lot of people have is the sense that there's been too much of a focus on things like infrastructure, the training ground uh, and the stadium. But again, there, you know, those things do uh, future-proof Spurs to a certain extent because of certainly with the stadium, the revenues they bring in. And the training ground, it's funny because as much as I know fans sort of roll their eyes at that because it feels like such an intangible thing, it is funny because a manager like Conte, he, that was something he really liked about Spurs was was the training ground. The facilities are amazing. Yeah. Um, so j- j- just to sort of, yeah, I don't know, explain that there, there are some tangible benefits. It's not just this thing that's trotted out um, by people defending Levy. I mean, yeah, clearly from what Mourinho said, there was an issue there. I mean, Mourinho, Mourinho and Levy generally got on pretty well, but Seen obviously the way, way yeah. It, yeah, the way it ended, um, no, <laughs> Mourinho brings up at every possible opportunity. <laughs> so he's maybe not the most reliable narrator uh, about about Levy. Um, and then Conte, again, just the contrast with this time a year ago, because this time a year ago, Levy was saying that, you know, Conte was, uh, you know, best one of the best managers he'd worked with, you know, was so impressed by him. I think everyone at Spurs was really impressed by Conte um, this time a year ago, but obviously it didn't then work out. And yeah, you could say the common denominator is Daniel Levy. Um, And that's why I think it's so interesting what will happen now with Scott Munn coming in, how much, you know, that is, that does herald a new era where Daniel Levy takes more of a back seat. But again, we've kind of been here before because people were saying that about Fabio Paratici. And while yes, Paratici did obviously um, have a have a very prominent role, it, you know, the Conte appointment was led by Levy still, even though Paratici was there as the director of football, whereas ordinarily you'd think the director of football would be leading on that. So it, it's complicated. I... I guess partly because I'm a journalist and my job is to provide balance. I'm, and and my nature is to sort of see both sides. Mm. Uh, I don't think he's, I don't think he's quite as terrible as some make out. But at the same time, I, you know, I I do think clearly mistakes have been made. I think two things can be true at once. That he's, of course, you know, in many ways done. He's done some good things. He's done some bad things. And I think there have been times where he just wanted that Spurs to make that push. You know, you think of that 2018-19 period. And it didn't happen, and I think that will always be a, be a regret for Spurs fans. Yeah, for sure, and and, and you're right. There is no, it isn't a binary of saying he's good or bad. I think that I think the major moments in those clutch moments where we have to make a decision and to push on his decision making in maybe in players that that, that needed to be signed or managers that needs to be brought in, he's he, he more or less, I'd say, he gets those big decisions incorrect. And will not put his foot on the gas when it appears that we need to. But maybe, I mean, eventually he'll get it right. And uh, I was just wondering what you thought of Postacoglu and whether or not that's a gamble or whether that's a, a shrewd move. I think the overriding, we were talking before we started, is that the actual interest in Tottenham has gone through the roof since Postacoglu come, come through the door. Maybe in part because we don't know much about him other than what we've, you know, we've seen at Celtic. But before that, an, an, an unknown there seems to be a fascination around this guy. Is that fascination just a curiosity or, or, or is there a genuine excitement in, in your opinion about what we can expect from Postacoglu? I, I'm excited. Um, I wrote a big piece on him when he joined and as part of that was interviewing former players of his, former coaches who'd worked with him, even people who'd managed, who'd been his superiors, you know, the kind of not quite Levy level, but, you know, directors so as to get the kind of most rounded sense of him possible. And the reports were so glowing. And 
not just in a kind of platitudes kind of way yeah. which cuz cuz you know most managers who come in they they're, they're going to be top managers so of course they're going to have people who will vouch for them but these were really the way that his former players spoke about him was it was almost like cult like how high how highly they rated him and it reminded me of um i've spoken to players who worked with Mourinho when he was at porto and in that first Chelsea spell, it was a kind of a similar thing. Like he was held in such high regard, they just fully trusted him. And that's what Postacoglu, um, those kind of feelings he engenders from his players and from the supporters as well. Like you, you talk to Celtic fans and I, I spoke to a few and people who cover Celtic, um, both after he joined them before, and they were so gutted about yeah. him going. You know, and, and you know you know, you know what it's like when with Pochettino that how angry it would make you if other clubs were trying to get him. It was like, no, leave our guy alone. He's yeah. ours. Yeah. And that's how they felt. Um, so, no, I think there is real, real excitement because, you know, he's an evangelist. He really does have a way of playing that is so, you know, some of the things he said about how committed he is to playing in an attacking way, et cetera, et cetera, are almost verbatim what a lot of Spurs fans, especially the more traditional fans, say, you know, like we much better to you know try at least try and play attacking football than grind out one nils um and not every fan will agree with that but i think you know looking at some of the spurs's core principles and the big buzzword this summer was culture you know about changing the culture improving the culture at the club i think he'll do all of those things and there's no guarantee about results um necessarily but i don't think you know conte and Mourinho were supposedly sure bets and the results were okay they were good in part but they didn't transform the club. So I, I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait to see us playing some attacking football for the first time in three years. Honestly, we did a poll. I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. We did a poll um, and there was four options. One, actually, we borrowed someone else's poll, I should say, because he'll be listening to this game. It wasn't you. Hmm. But we, uh, yeah, we borrowed this guy's poll and um, it was four options. And the winner was we just want to see attractive football in the first instance. What do you think success looks like? So there was one in 10 that said, we've got to win something. We kind of, that's ridiculous to say we have to win something this season for it to be a success for Postacoglu. But what do you think success looks like for Postacoglu? Yeah, this is such an interesting question. Again, um, this came up when I was doing that Postacoglu piece and talking to players and I was asking them, you know, do you think uh, Postacoglu would be a success? And they'd often say that, say that but, but what is the success for Spurs uh, right now? Because they do feel like a club in transition. Um, I don't know about long term. I think just looking ahead to next season, and, and yeah, some will say this is a an unambitious attitude, but I think it's what's most important right now is that by the end of next season <clears throat> and throughout it, fans have the feeling of a club that are moving in the right direction again, that there's a discernible way of playing, that there's a process in place, that it looks like the players are buying into it. Um, just that the direction of travel is positive, that you you have the sense that with this guy in charge, improvements are going to be made and you're going to be getting better and better over time rather than this feeling of like, you know, sort of standing still and just sort of treading water or that, or just very, that you're operating in a very short term kind of way, which mm. I think was the sense most I would Conte. So again, I know that that feels maybe less tangible than what some fans want or demand. But to me, I think success, you know, let's say Spurs finished sixth last season, uh, finished sixth next season, but they do it playing football that really thrills the fans and clearly the players are bought into it. And there's a real sense that we're moving in the right direction. 
I think that can be a successful season. Likewise, you know, they could come fourth, but if it's all a bit chaotic and, you know, some of the players are sounding off and it doesn't really feel like a United dressing room or United fan base, which is unlikely, I guess, because if you're coming fourth, you probably would be pretty happy. But Well, yeah, you, you say that. But if, if we'd have done it under Conte this season, I think all of us would have felt a little exactly. bit like, well, that was that a good season? Even though exactly. on paper it was. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, totally. So I think it is a bit more, my view anyway, and every fan will will uh, have their own view. That to me is the most important thing. That's what I think success looks like. Just having everyone, that triangulation of club, of sorry, of fans, of players and manager, all feeling united and putting in the right direction. Because it's been so long, really, really, in any sustained way. Yeah, there have been moments of it, but we haven't had that in a sustained way. Since, uh, since Pochettino left. 100%, 100% agree with you. Um, I read an article this morning about Leonardo Gabanini, um, and it talks about his rising influence behind the scenes since Parachi was let go. Um, what can you tell us about him? Like, he was apparently directly involved in uh, Vic- Vicario uh, signing. Yeah, so Gabanini, uh, I've reported on him a few times. I did a big piece on of everything that was going on at Spurs in all departments back in April. And he came up a bit in that. So he basically, since Paratici's gone, the two most prominent people in that department are Gabonini and Greta Steinson. Greta Steinson is more strategic in his role. Gabonini is more um, kind of heading up the scouting operation. So Gabonini has a team of people working into him. Um, and he was pretty closely aligned with Paratici before he went. Uh, from what I understand, Gabonini is pretty forthright. Um, he is pretty direct in his dealings. Um, he has a wide network, as you'd expect from someone like that. He was at Watford before. Um, so obviously, the way Watford uh, operate under the Pozzo network, and they've got all their links in Italy. So he, so that's a market he knows very well. So yeah, again, someone like Vicario, um, that's going to be a player that's very familiar to him. Um, is he is he so, main yeah. focus in Italy? Or does he have no, a I wouldn't net- say. His, 
I say it's global, but that's just that's a market he's going to know yeah. that he does know very well, given his experience, where he's from, the sort of contacts um, that he's developed. Obviously, what will be interesting is a we've got Scott Munn to start permanently on July the first, and both Steinson and uh, Gabonini will report into him as Paratici would have done. And there's the director of football, which we'll probably talk about mm-hmm. still to come as well. So, to be again, to be fair to Daniel Levy for a club that for a long time was kind of madly thin really when it came to people in senior positions making these kind of decisions over the past couple of years not only did Pratsy come in but you've had Steinson come in as performance director Gabonini uh, Andy Scolding Simon Davis has come in and he's now heading up the academy Scott Munn so that's quite a lot of pretty big ticket appointments into important roles I guess the key thing is yes but how much autonomy do they actually have and that's the million dollar question. Uh, probably something we'll, we'll never know. Um, it, so it's, it was much more, it's much too simplistic for Spurs fans, myself included, when we were sort of angry at, at finding ourselves in a situation where we had no manager or no head coach, no director of football and seemingly no, no, no direction. But in actual fact, there, were, there are people in place behind the scenes that can do these jobs without Paratici being there. Um, obviously, we've got a manager in Poster Cogley. Um, the DOF stuff has, uh, seems to have gone quiet. Are we actively looking for someone to take over? I know it's a role that's notoriously difficult to fill because people are in jobs. Uh, you know, the, the ones that are really good are in long-term positions at their football club. There is a couple of big names um, around that could potentially take over. But what what do you know, if anything, of our search for a new DOF? Yeah, that is ongoing. But it is slightly surprising... Um that we're where we are and there still hasn't been an appointment though as you say it's not an easy appointment to get right there aren't many people who could do the job because it does require a both a level of skill but also a kind of force of personality to head up that team like it's such an important position uh for any club that said i mean paratigy part of what he wanted to do was create a team that meant you know there were people there who were empowered to do the job as well so you've got you do have people like Steinson and Gabonini so that and you know a whole team of scouts working into them and various other people at the club and they've obviously been working away over the last few months targets were identified a long time ago while Paratici was still there so yeah it's not it's not like they've just been sitting on their hands not doing anything but Mm. clearly it's a massive appointment to get right I mean ideally they wanted that to be sorted before the head coach was sorted obviously that didn't happen because you do run the risk of having a director of football and a head coach who aren't as aligned, which is obviously what what you want. Um, so yeah, but I, but there was a flurry of activity whenever it was a few weeks ago, a month ago maybe, and it, and it has gone quiet. Um, but they'll be, they will be they are trying. Michael Edwards doesn't have a job. Is there anything there? Yeah. I've not. That's not one I've heard directly. Um, Just but dream. yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There are. Yeah, there are these sort of few kind of celebrity directors of football that yeah. everyone knows about, like Monchi and uh, yeah. I mean, Paratici, to be fair, was 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 arguably one of them. But. I was speaking to um, Nima. You might know him. Um, he does the Italian football podcast, and he was. I know. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. He was saying that Paratici's reputation in Italy was. I mean, it might have been in part due to his misdoings. Let's say. Um, 
but he he didn't have a great reputation as a functioning DOF. But as in in at Spurs, we sort of heralded him as one of the very few positive, truly positive things to have happened in the last four or five years. It was a bit of a strange one. I was surprised to hear that from him. But um, yeah, like when yeah, so okay. no, I think there was like a um, yeah that. that... It, it depends who you speak to. I think generally his reputation was pretty good, but mm. by the end he'd been there a long time. And and the, the reality is, you're just you are going to have some misses as well as hits because it's not an exact science. Mm. Um, but he's still. I think generally his time at Juventus, given how good they were, yeah. was considered to be pretty successful. Um, is there a world where Eric Dyer and Sanchez start a game for Tottenham next season, Charlie? Tell, <laughs> tell me you've heard that we're actively trying to sell both of them. I don't think the two of them. Um, One of them. San- Sanchez, I would... Well, Sanchez, they certainly would be very open to offers for. And then it just comes down to where those offers come from and for how much. I don't think they're going to get much for him, I mean, to be I, brutally honest. Oh, is there any, any risk that we just sever our contract? Uh, well, this go down the Serge Aurier exactly. uh, route. I mean, they do need to thin the squad. I think. I think that will be a conversation, the terminating contracts for for a number of the players i mean they are so the squad is so bloated yeah and they're not in europe and they need to bring players in so you're looking at like double figures at least of the the players they want to get rid of so maybe that becomes a conversation later on the window dyer uh dyer's a tricky one i mean he's got he's only got a year left on his contract um Mm. and it wouldn't surprise me if it suited everyone for him to stay and then go next summer but because again, with his age and the fact that he does only have a year left, I can't imagine they're going to be offered a huge amount for him. Um, no, so, yeah. I mean, I just I think we we as Spurs fans we looked at that centre back role, especially when we're playing three at the back, and you're thinking, well, we need a lot, we need at least two. I think we still need two at the back, even if we're playing a back four. I've never really seen Romero in a back four, and I know he may have played that role in in Italy, but certainly in England, he's never been asked of him to do that, or very rarely. And I don't think Dyer, in, in, from what I've seen, can play in a back four. I don't think he's fast enough mm. or dynamic enough. So I feel like we need at least two centre-backs. But what what do you think will come in? We've been linked yeah. with a lot. I, th- I think Spurs will ideally bring in two centre-backs. One in the mould of Clermont Longley, and it could even be Clermont Longley, in a kind of backup sort of option. And then more of a first choice, uh, Edmund Tapsoba. Um, what do you make of him? I, I haven't seen a huge amount of him, but I'm... I'm I hear very good things. Yeah. Um, and you know that he he's right-footed, I believe, but plays plays as a left-sided centre back, and yeah. that's that's um, yeah, what Spurs have been looking for for so long. You know that that um, left-sided centre back has become such an important position over the last few years because of how much teams want want to play out, and yeah. Spurs just haven't had that. It's been, and it ha- I think it has been an issue. There, there's a wider issue in that you're trying to evolve from playing three at the back to playing at four, to playing a four, and a number of players, like you say, are more comfortable in the three. Uh, I think of Dyer, Romero, someone like Ben Davis, probably Clement Longley, mm. and, then a, and then a bunch of the wing-backs, you know, are more wing-backs than full-backs. So that is something that... Um, yeah, is going to have to be addressed in a big way this summer. I know, it feels, like, it feels like so much to do. We did have a question from Top Spur. It wasn't really a question, it was just like a demand. Ask him about Tap Soda and Madison. Uh, we talked about Tap Soda. Just quickly, I've watched him on YouTube and he does it like the best centre-back I've ever seen in the history <laughs> of the game. 
He carries the ball. He's quick. He looks like he's like a midfielder in, in, in centre-back. So I think that'd be a great signing. We should absolutely do it based on that four-minute YouTube video. Uh, but <laughs> Madison has been a, just an ongoing rumbling um, story. We heard, and I don't know how much faith you have in ITK, is probably zero, right? But we obviously, the podcast is relatively well-known and so we get fed information. 99.9% of it ends up being utter bollocks. But Madison, we heard, it was, there was almost an agreement in place last season while the football was still being played and that he agreed and wanted to come to Tottenham regardless of what seemed to be happening there now it's been rumbling on it does feel like one of these things will get over the line what do you think of it yeah my understanding is that talks are ongoing between the clubs and that they're not especially close at this point to reaching an agreement bear in mind Leicester wants 60 million for a player who's out of contract Yeah. yeah but I mean that's what they're holding out for and as ever they'll you know there'll be lots of negotiations, but that's quite a high bar to try and get them down from. Um, so yeah, that that's basically where it is right now. But I think there is the appetite to get it done. Um, but they have a limit. I mean, look at David Raya. That, that was a player they wanted. In the end, the price point was too high for a player, also out of contract next summer. So they pivoted elsewhere. Um, I mean, this is a player they've liked for a really long time, even since he was back at Coventry. Um, and I remember, yeah, last summer there were whispers that they might go for him. In the end, they didn't. There's Newcastle, who are also there in the background, um, potentially going to make a move. My understanding at the moment is that that's less likely. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one... I think everyone would love to see that done. I would love to watch him every week. I think he's a phenomenal player I would too I'm kind of look. sometimes I, I obviously as a fan you want the clubs to just spend the money get the player in so we can rebuild but you don't want to have your pants pulled down because it really mm. res- restricts what you can do elsewhere yeah. we do need these centre-backs there isn't an infinite yeah. amount of money to spend even you know even Chelsea now look at them fire selling their players because they have to they have to find some balance to what they did last last summer and and in and in January, so we're in a situation where Leicester cannot demand sixty million pound for Jermaine, uh, James Madison when they're relegated and he has a year left on his contract. If anyone goes in there and spends that, it's either they're state backed or mental. It, mm. he just it's not a fair price. The same with Porro. I think we had a not that he's not a good player. He's a good player, but he's not forty five million pounds good at this stage. And I think yeah. that we there was some there felt like there was a pressure to make sure we got him in, uh, and we probably overpaid for him. You can't continue to do that unless, like you say, you're banked by infinite wealth. Yeah, it has a knock-on effect as well, doesn't it? Because then everyone looks at it and it's like, oh, this club overpays. Yes, great. We'll just hold out for more with our player. So you do have to be careful, even as for and and also as much as. You know, the same people who'll be like, why just pay what they want for Madison? But then if that means you can't get a centre-back, and then say, why can't we get a centre-back? Yeah, well, you forget very Because quickly. you've overpaid. Yes, exactly. Um, but it's, you know, it's your fan's prerogative just to shout into the void and hope, <laughs> hope, hope someone listens. Um, uh, any other centre-backs that we have been linked with, you know, just thought, just quickly, is there, like, you know, tap soda, but anything likely, do you think? There's Tossin as well at Fulham, yeah. who they're like, Mark Gay is someone, again, they've liked for a, I remember being told about him probably two summers ago. They liked him. Um, so those those are in the mix. I mean, I know Harry Maguire was mentioned earlier on in the window. That was never one um, that I heard was partic- was ever particularly far along. And uh, imagine he'd be a fairly divisive 
player to bring in. But that, yeah, that is a priority. But, you know, we, we've seen so many times before that we get uh, bogged down early on in the window with targets that have been mentioned, that have been linked. And there are so many reasons why a player might be linked with the club. And then someone comes in from left field. I mean, look yeah. at Vicario, really. Yeah, that was not someone that was being heavily trailed. Most Spurs fans probably hadn't heard of him 48 hours ago. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that he is the best uh, goalkeeper in Europe currently. He's, uh, although, do you know what? Um, Jose Mourinho would talk to him about him saying he was an incredible goalkeeper. Many many clubs in in um, in Syria were looking at him. I don't know if the, is he like. I had a question about him. Is this our number one signing? Is this so? It wasn't rare, and now we've shifted towards him because he's cheaper, and that this is our solution for the goalkeeping situation for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think he is. You know, he's the number one. He'll come in as the number one. Um, and yeah, it's that's the thing when you. I mean, David Raya seemed like a safe because he's Premier League experienced and he's so good obviously there's a degree of risk when you bring in someone you know this guy's only been playing top flight football for a couple of seasons he's 26 which for a keeper is is relatively young mm. but from people I've been speaking to who who know his game pretty well they think this is a really good price that Spurs have got I think he's really? got a huge amount of potential as you mentioned that you know Juve were interested in him Inter if Inanna was to go uh, this was someone they wanted as a replacement so big clubs you know this guy is, is really well thought of um, and, you know, I think the position Spurs are in, they need to be smart. They need to sign players before they get to the David Raya level almost because once they're there, they become, you know, a couple of seasons as a Premier League player and your price is just ridiculous. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. These days. So, and Spurs aren't in Europe. Um... So they need to get some of these signings right. And to be fair, under Perestici, you know, you look at Romero, Romero cost a lot of money, but Benton Kerr and Kudosevsky were very well priced. Definitely. Um, we played, we ended up paying six, uh, sorry, 26 million, but paid over six years. Mm. It's almost Plus like a loan, there was a decent loan fee. But yeah, even so, it's, it's brilliant business for Kudosevsky. Um, there has been a shift behind the scenes, apparently about us being much more data-driven, like a la mm. you know, Brentford and Brighton. And everyone heralds how well they recruit players. What, what does that look like at Spurs, in your understanding? Is, it, is, is this signing of this goalkeeper partly down to that sort of new method? Yeah, of- yeah. well, and, and Postacoglu as well. You know, that the, that was, um, you know, they, they look at that, you know, all, all the things about how his teams play and that kind of thing. Yeah, there's definitely a big move, a big move towards this. Um, and, and that's pretty common in modern football. You know, everything is known about these players. So their style um so so with a goalkeeper for instance you know and even the piece uh 
the one up this morning by me and a couple of my colleagues on the athletic you know you can you can look at you can benchmark him and look at how he plays who he plays like and that can be on the sort of level that we're operating on which is less sophisticated <clears throat> you know average passes average pass length um yeah. even basic things like average passes per game and, and it's interesting looking at his numbers compared to Larice, and there is quite a big difference just how much more trusted um vicario is on the ball and at empley last season what they would often do play play goal kick a defender would play a goal kick to him and then he can distribute wow um which United tried to do with De Gea this season and then basically abandoned it because it was like, <laughs> you can't really do it. And I can't imagine Lloris do it. You know, I think that would be a bit of a disaster zone with Lloris. Why, why wouldn't the fullback be able to play that ball? It's just that this goalkeeper is he's, better. I think it's just angles. Right. He's got more angles. And so, like, one of the things Vicario could do was play passes between the lines to midfielders, um, find his wide men, that sort of thing. So... Um, yeah, I think he'll he'll feel like a big step up from the re and and it feels bad. I feel like I'm sort of dissing uh, <laughs> an ex or something. You know, Larice was brilliant for so long for Spurs, but you know, I just think he became a bit outdated by the end. Yeah, yeah, he was but he was a bloody liability. I mean, I look, I, I can say I'm I appreciate everything you've done, but um, yeah, he's uh, it, we had zero faith. In he, and, and you could see, I think in, even when he signed that contract, the last co- contract, it was almost like Conte, they had Conte and it kind of felt like there may be another last hurrah for it. But it was just clear that he was done and we yeah. felt so much more secure with Fraser Forster there. And um, it feels like now we have a one on two that, because I have no issue with Fraser Forster playing for Tottenham at all. I feel comfortable with that. Um, yeah, uh, just a couple more questions and then we'll we'll wrap this up if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um Jack Doyle, 82, he says, is left-backs something the club are looking at with Reguilon and Perisic? Looking like they'll leave. Adogi having no experience and Davies getting ripped to shreds against Brentford. There's no obvious contender at the start of the season. However, just to add something to that, we do have an abundance of players that can play in this area of the pitch. So maybe are we not looking to, to adapt some of that talent that we already have? We can't buy another fullback, surely. Yeah, I think there are too many other priority areas. Um, because, yeah, you've got Sessegnon, Davis... Adogi, Reguilon. Perisic, um, you know, someone like Tanganga can fill in there. There are so many players well, who can Reg- play left back. Yeah, yeah. Regulon, of yeah. course, yeah. Like, he is like a left back as well. He's, he's like a t- yeah, yeah. I mean, Regulon, I expect, will be moved on. I think Perisic could go as well. Um, I don't think that's really worked out. What's his role? What's his role this season? If it's not left back, it's got to be as a left winger or forward. Yeah. Is he going to press? I, I guess almost like a sort of deluxe utility sub. Because I just I can't I can't see him really starting many games because yeah there's not an obvious position for him now. I'd have him on the bench. He's he's can still do. Yeah. Like he's got 11, 11 assists last season. It's a high number, but having him on the bench yeah, exactly. as a forward player, it's not a bad option, but it's certainly not a left yeah. back option. No, exactly. So I I don't think that that's not something at the moment anyway. You know what often happens like with transfer windows is then at the end maybe there's like a surprise player pops up in a surprise position, but that's not a priority right now. No, not at all. And what about the what do you think about the right back side of things as well? Because it's a similar situation. You've got Emerson Royale, who is a out and out right back who can play as a wing back, good going forward. You've got Porro, who isn't a right back, but obviously we've paid a lot of money, so we need to make that work. He could play further forward, you'd say, think. You've got Jed Spence coming back. You know. Yeah, really 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 good options. Um Yeah, I mean Postacoglu likes his fullbacks to invert and be comfortable yeah. on the ball in central midfield. I mean, I think someone like Royale could, could do a really good job. We saw him playing a more central 
defensive role last season. Horro is an interesting one because, as we saw against Newcastle, him in a back four is a bit of a disaster zone. Mm. But I also I don't think he's a winger. I mean, he's, he is a wing back basically. That position is perfect for him, but that's not the system we expect Spurs to play with. And that's kind of an example of what's happened a lot with Spurs that, you know, you spend a load of money on a player and then within a couple of months, the guy who he was brought into play for and whose system he was brought into play for is gone. And then it's like, well, what happens now with him? Uh, and Jed Spence, I'm really interested to see how he does because, you know, he was the guy who there was so much excitement about this time last year and then it just didn't happen for him. And what and you know what role does Postecoglou see for him? Does he invert or does he play more as a kind of attacking fullback? The interesting thing with him is he he's a really good defender. I think people think of him as more attacking, but at Forest they always they were wowed by how good he was defensively. And in a kind of Wambasaka, no one got past him. Kind of way. was he was he playing in a back four then? He played in the back five oh. um, most of the time. Yeah, as, as in yeah, he was he was a wing back. Yeah. Um, but he can do either. So it'll be interesting to see. Final question. Thomas, uh, Tom Jones on Twitter, he says, uh, odds that Kane leaves this window? Uh, don't know about odds, but I don't think he will go. That's where I'm at right now. Um, it, it just reminds me a bit of two years ago. I know, I know the circumstances are different because then he had three years left on his contract, so Spurs had more um, more power. But all I'm hearing so far is, yes, there are a lot of teams who who want him um of course they do mm. but i just don't think they're gonna pay what's necessary because they know they can get him for free next year and so to pay you know 100 million plus for what will be a 30 year old um assuming you know by the time that transfer would actually happen uh who has one year left on his contract i don't know i, I just i can't really see that you know maybe someone will come as you, you know you mentioned nation state owned clubs maybe a psg or someone will come and do that i know they really like him um but yeah it just feels a bit like two years ago and everyone you know it's all well and good them trying to unsettle kane and kane wanting to go but ultimately there's a third really important party in that and that's spurs and they're not gonna they're not gonna be hustled into selling him at a cut price um, then you, even if it means he goes next year, can Daniel Lee? Could you think Daniel Lee could really stomach that? Like what? I, I guess losing what, him for free. Yeah, losing him for free. But what damage does it do to his credibility and his t somewhat tattered reputation with Spurs fans now? If, if he lets him go, like what's Daniel Lee yeah. thinking? Do you think? Well, well, well that's why I, th I mean, you, you'll you'll have a view on this. But to me, ultimately, if Ken goes for free next summer, yeah, of course everyone will be really upset. But Levy tied him to a six-year deal. You know, it wasn't like he got him on a short-term contract. He got him to a six-year deal and then couldn't get him to sign another one. And that is that is a failing of the club, no question, because clearly if Spurs had been moving in a more positive direction, he would have signed another contract. Yeah, But I think that would almost be more palatable than him going this summer and it feeling like, you know, unless it's a crazy offer, obviously, but for he's almost invaluable to Spurs, yeah. you know, because partly because of the emotion of it all, I don't know, I just can't see an amount that really satisfy, you know, for Spurs fans that they're going to be like, oh, fair play, let's we, sell it. We did a pod and the amount we agreed on was 170 million, which has never come in. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly, that's just, that's not going to happen, not even nearly. So exactly, that gives you a sense of, yeah, uh, of how upset Spurs fans would be, especially if he was sold to another English club. Yeah. Well, was, was there only truth from Man United going you have to put in a transfer mark. Like, that was a big story uh, yesterday, I think, or the day before. We, we wanted to put in a transfer request. 
they're demanding that of him. I don't know. But I mean, they, they really like him. Um, they want to sign him. But again, this is what I mean. It just feels a bit like they're all sort of, you know, agitating and trying to get something done. But ultimately put up or shut up like if, if United come in with a crazy offer then maybe they'll get him but yeah. all of that sort of you know Kane didn't turn up for training last time did it make any difference no yeah and in fairness again in fairness to Daniel Levy for all his faults I think the way he handled that was in the best interest of the club Absolutely. he was kind of like well Absolutely. okay we're still not going to sell you and sure enough in a couple of weeks Kane was back and playing for Spurs and just to see one more season in this new sort of attacking Postacogli side, maybe we just have to keep him. All right, thank you, Charlie. Thank you so much. And um, we uh, will no doubt speak in a year from now when we've got a new manager and everything yeah. else is completely fucked again. But thanks for that, mate. Cool. Thanks so much, mate. Nice one. That's amazing. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.